The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Sunday, October 3rd, our second special weekend show in this 31 shows in 31 days. A spooky fantasy NBA Today treat here in the month of October. Welcome to the pod, everybody. I am Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Very excited, as always, to tell you what we got coming up on today's show. But you guys know my new plan is to talk about a single player at the beginning of the show. So you guys all get your fantasy fix right at the outset here. And today, we're going to talk about Nikola Vucevic, who has become a weirdly, not polarizing player, but just a guy that doesn't have a real ADP. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So Vooch, right now, his actual ADP is 15.4. But what we can't see behind the numbers on Yahoo's ADP board is how what the spread is on that. We know the mean, but we don't know the median and we don't know the mode. We don't know the weight of all of it. But what I can tell you from watching a lot of drafts is that Vooch is going anywhere from basically 13 to about 22, which in the early rounds, that's a pretty big spread. Think about the first round guys, for instance. Dame, where is he going? Anywhere from like 4 to 7? KD, 4 to 7. James Harden, 4 to 7. Steph, 2 to 5, 2 to 6. Jokic, 1. Tatum, anywhere from like... 8 to 12. The spreads are quite small in these early round guys. Paul George, probably anywhere from like 11 to 14 or 15. Bradley Beal, same thing. But yet Vooch somehow is the guy in that range that has almost like a full round of spread. I've seen him as the first pick of the second round. I've seen him as the last pick of the second round. And I think the reason you're seeing that and why then seeing an ADP of 15 and a half, which again tells you more often than I was going towards the beginning of the second round, more so than, than the very end. But I do think that it's almost like a, a split between going at about 13 and going anywhere from like 15 to 20. Some of those numbers are spread out a little bit. Less at 20, more at 15, but you catch my drift. From a math standpoint. From a reality standpoint, the reason this is happening is because there's disagreement on where he should be going. Last year, Vooch was number 11 per game in nine-category leagues. Last year, Vooch was number four by totals in nine-category leagues. That's pretty good. Number four. Number 11 per game is, I think, more often where you're seeing guys get drafted. He was 11. The Bulls added DeMar DeRozan. And Vooch didn't get to play with Zach Levine all that much. They did a few weeks, but they were kind of feeling each other out. And then Levine got COVID. He missed three weeks. Vooch got to do anything he wanted. He missed a couple games in there as well. Now you add another player to the mix. I don't even care about Lonzo Ball. He's He's not a usage guy anyway. And so there's this assumption, probably correct assumption, that Vooch does a little bit less this year. He took 20 shots a game last season. That's probably not happening this year. 
How many guys took 20 shots a game last year? The number was seven. Vooch was the one hanging on by a thread. Vooch took more shots per game than Damian Lillard last year. Zach Levine was at 19.4. Those two guys taking almost 40 shots apiece. There needs to be room made for a third guy who does stuff. It's not going to be a ton. It's not going to be like they each give DeMar seven shots. A lot of what DeRozan's going to be doing this year is going to be coming from the guys that aren't there anymore. Lowry Markkinen uh, being probably the one of the larger of the... The usage guys, Sadoransky got sent out, not that he was doing very much either. Lonzo is going to get his handful of shots, but some small amount will come from Levine and Vooch. It kind of has to. So if you think it's one shot, fine. If you think it's one and a half, I think you'll probably see something kind of similar to what you got when the Warriors assembled three higher usage guys, and everybody took like a two-shot dip. And then with DeRozan, a lot of his stuff is tied up in free throws, so, you know, you'd see a, a dip there and where maybe not quite two full field goal attempts in the technical sense. But what does that even mean? If Vooch's uh, usage goes down by that fraction, that takes him from 11 to what? Let's say a full round. Let's say 23 on a per-game basis, which I don't think is actually going to be the case. I think it'll be more like Vooch a couple years ago where other guys in Orlando were actually willing to try to be in charge of the offense for some stretches before everybody realized, oh, Vooch is our best offensive option. He should sort of be the man all the time. And it'd be more like, you know, 18 and a half, whatever shots per game, something like that. Seven and a half, 18, 18 and a half, something in that range. So probably maybe even a little better than that, like 20 instead of 24. So being drafted at 15 and a half is basically like a saying, okay, how durable do we think this dude is? Does he fall less than that? I personally believe he falls from 11 per game probably to about 20. That's the impact I think this addition will have. I could see him in the 18 slot pretty easily. That's quite close to 20. It's only a little bit better. And then I also think the Bulls, and you know, not to speak to anything catastrophic, if he has a, a larger injury, if he really like pulls something and needs to miss a couple weeks, if it's bumps and bruises where guys might have taken some time off in the past, I don't think the Bulls are going to. They have a lot to prove this year. So I expect Vooch to play more than the average number of games in the NBA, and I expect him to be pretty close, maybe a couple slots behind, on average, against his ADP. All that to say, I think his ADP is right. That's about where he should be going. But if you can get him most places in the second round, it's not a bad call. And if he gets to you at 16 or later, just go for it and feel okay about that fact. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball is hoop-ball.com at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. Check out the Fantasy Pass right now at Hoopball. The annual projections are out. They've been released to all Fantasy Pass and Hoopball 360 subscribers. The Brewski 150 is in the Hoopball 360 plan right now. All of Hoopball's memberships are available at hoop-ball.com and all Hoop ball packages this year include some sort of Discord premium channel availability. These subscription models obviously last as long as you keep them active. Draft Guide, B150 buyers, you guys can get into the Discord until opening night as well. Opportunity to talk with the pros all day and all night about fantasy basketball. So that's really cool stuff. You should check that out. 
Also, hoop ball leagues remain open. We keep adding them. We'll be, I'm sure we'll pass where we were last year. Uh, and we're recruiting. Those are the two main things I want to make sure you guys are listening to. If you want to be part of our hoop ball team, or if you want to be in a hoop ball league, you have two ways to get involved with that. You can hit me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google Dan from hoop ball. And my Twitter feed now is the number one result because everything else I've done is no longer important. Coming up on today's show, we talk to one of my favorites, Adam Stock, who uh, drafts almost the exact same way as I do in Roto Leagues, but also happens to be uh, one of the best punters. All the Adams we have on this show are really good at punting. So we'll talk to Adam about that. He's also uh, the reigning champion. He won the, the Fantasy Sports Writers Association's Writer of the Year Award last year. So screw asterisks in 2020. Uh, big time congratulations to Adam, and I'll make sure to, to say that once he's on the pod as well. The Pondmaster joins us, although we'll get to that, I guess, in a few moments. Uh, first and foremost, Adam Stock. I guess I should make sure I give out last names because there are a few Adams that have been on this podcast. Adam Stock, what's up, man? It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Give me a break uh, during this uh, baseball-induced uh, <laughs> little stress period. I'm a Jays fan, so today is a big day. Yeah, uh, Dodgers fan over here. Weirdly big day for a team with 105 wins that is <laughs> staring down the barrel of a one-game wild card. But, you know, baseball, baseball. like, hopefully they'll react to the weird stuff that's come up. I don't, everybody's like, oh, baseball needs to fix this. I'm like, dude, this doesn't happen. You don't, you don't create a set of rules for the one time that something breaks down. And I'm, I'm rooting for the team that's probably going to get screwed by it. You just, I don't know. You're, uh... Your Jays are in a uh, a dogfight. I didn't know how far away all the teams were from one another, but you told me before we came on air, the Sox and the Yanks are a game up on the Jays and the Mariners in a four-way race for the AL wild cards, plural. So, yeah, yeah. like if you, in the middle of the show, if you're just like, Dan, hold on, I'm just going to assume, <laughs> so, I'm just going to assume Vladdy is hit like a 180 mile an hour missile somewhere. So that's fine. You can, you can just hit the pause button. That's totally cool. Uh, you guys it. can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam G Stock. Uh, we're going to get into punt stuff. First, I want to go through a little bit quicker than with a lot of our guests, the, the mock draft, just because simply, number one, this was a nine-cat roto, um, and I want to I talk to you more about punting, which is uh, a more powerful tool in head-to-head. You can kind of get away with one category in roto. In head-to-head, you can punt two, three four categories if you really wanted to you just can't do that on the roto side so uh we'll sort of afterburner our way through your team you ready to rock let's do it all right you had the number two pick and you took steph curry which i don't know is there anything we really need to say about that i don't i I guess the only question is why is there even even an argument at this point yeah, especially in Roto. I guess in head-to-head, you could get a little cute, maybe pick Giannis if you're comfortable punting free throw percentage at two. But uh, besides that, pretty easy pick. Yeah, easy pick. We'll go through. We'll go quick on that one. Uh, 23rd overall, Zach Levine. I do actually want to ask you about this one because I, I, this is a, not so much Levine himself, but I've, I'm finding that this area is one of, I think, two trouble spots in the draft. Basically, like when Jimmy Butler is off the board... You're looking at a crop of guys that are going between about 20 and 28, give or take a pick or two, that on a per-game basis last year, 
generally weren't in that range. Uh, Levine was 25, so he does fit that mold. Although now you're adding a number of key components, actually getting to play with Vooch. They, they missed a bunch of time together last year. Uh, Levine with COVID. Uh, DeMar DeRozan coming to town. Other guys going in that range. Demonis Sabonis, who was... Where the heck was he last year? I think in 9-cat in he was uh, 26. He was right behind Levine. So all these guys are sort of being thrust five or six slots earlier this year what do you do in that range because i'll admit even as someone who does this all the time many times a year i'm actually having a little trouble figuring out what the move is in that sort of six seven pick pocket where there aren't that many obvious guys that you say well well this guy should be going like five slots earlier it's not that it's not a layup there aren't that many gimmies in there no, I'll be completely honest. If Levine didn't fall, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I was I was praying for a Jimmy fall because that happens occasionally, but I figured that wouldn't happen. Um, I was pretty happy with Levine, though, just to give a quick background on what my strategy was going in so you understand like why I was making these picks. Uh, in Roto, um, I like to target the percentages and uh, turnovers a little bit. I just find they're usually easier lifts. I know most people chase the counting categories. They chase points. And assists. So I think the competition to get that 11, to get that 12 uh, in those categories is going to be a little tougher. So guys like Levine, um, I really like. So when he was there, he was a bit of an easy pick for me. But if he wasn't, I was considering guys like Chris Paul. I know it's not sexy and the age makes him a little risky. But last year, he was like top five on a, a totals basis. So I think in Roto, he's pretty viable there. I think Drew Holiday's going way too low, too. Had a really nice year last year. I think he is a potential answer uh, in that round doesn't get you the points you want early, but I think from a value standpoint, uh, he's okay. But for the most part, like, yeah, I agree. Like I'm not super comfortable with LaMelo there. I don't really like Randall in that range in nine cats. No. Uh, Rudy in head to head. Absolutely. Easy pick. I haven't even higher than that, but in Roto. Yeah. Tricky again. I, I know Jalen Brown went there in our draft. I was a little surprised with that. I think that's a little too high. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had a good answer for you, but I, I don't think there really is any. I think you just try to pair, figure out who fits well with your first round pick and, and kind of go from there. Fortunately, you're, you, you usually had Jokic or uh, Steph on your team. So even if the pick doesn't end up being great, you're still going to be in pretty <laughs> decent shape. At what point do you, and, and by the way, we can even just add in DeAndre Ayton. Uh, yeah, you were able Aiden to get three, three picks later. At what mm-hmm. point do you say, well, like, you know what? I have these guys in that sort of like at the back end of this range, and I'm just going to take them and say, you know what? I'll, uh, this is fine. Like, instead of stressing out so much about it, is that the answer? Just try not to stress and understand that there's a chance this pick doesn't quite get to where he, the, the player was drafted. Like, maybe I'll take somebody at 22, and they're going to be number 26, and that's just going to have to be okay. Yeah, I think at that in that range, I start focusing on on fit a little more. Like like with Levine, I like the pick because you got to think about cart category scarcity. You need points, um, assists, where he's only okay, and free throw percentage uh, early, and and he fits that. So yeah, I, I focus on fit a little more. I know I if I'm picking in that range, I already have an advantage on my opponents due to my first round pick. So maybe like I'm not going to win the draft in rounds two and three, but let's just get solid picks that aren't going to kill me, which I think Aiden and Levine are, even if they don't live up to that draft a slot. Uh, if, even if they don't uh, return great value at that spot, like they're not really going to hurt me either. Like I'll try right. to win the draft in the middle rounds. And of course you hope you hit on a sleeper late. 
Yep, that makes sense. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, pick 47. This one feels relatively simple, so I don't know that we need to go too, too in-depth on that. Uh, guy that was better than that on a per-game basis last year, whose role isn't changing very much. How about Tyrese Halliburton, second pick of the fifth round? Um, I think we all can generally agree he should take a step forward. How big of a step do you think it's going to be? Yeah, so I'll just go back to the Holmes pick just quick because I, I went back and forth. I'm not sure I actually played this right because Chris Middleton was on the board. Yeah. And that kind of surprised me. And so I was going back and forth. I was like, okay, who do I think is more likely to be taken on on the turn, Middleton or Holmes? And I was just looking at the the uh, Jokic team. I was like, okay, like maybe he, he needs a big, maybe he'll take Holmes. But I think I probably should have like switched it up. Otherwise, you know, maybe like just when Middleton played it safe, I think there's a decent chance Holmes would have been there. If not, you have nice options like Collins, Valanciunas. But I, I can't complain too much. Um, to get back to the Halliburton uh, pick, I, I love him in Roto. Just I think he's one of those guys that is made for Roto. I, I know like Mel got all the hype last year. He's going to go in the third. He, he's awesome. But in nine cat, Halliburton finished ahead of him. You know, on a, on a per game basis, this is a guy who's I think upside is above this in his prime. He has the opportunity, to, the chance to be above average in eight categories. Like I, only rebounds should be low in its prime. So I think his upside is like pretty significant and is being slept on a little bit just because he plays for the Kings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll happen. Uh, yeah. I like it. Malcolm Brogdon, and I guess we can kind of do your picks in pairs since you were so close to the front-end turn. Malcolm Brogdon at 71, yep. Isaiah Stewart at 74. Brogdon at 71 feels real easy, especially with the Pacers now sort of unsure when T.J. Warren might come back. Karis LeVert dealing with a stress reaction. They're hoping that won't be a big deal, but I guess we don't really know. Uh, this is pretty low for Brogdon to go in any format. And then Isaiah Stewart, my question on him is, I'll, I'll put it to you in a, uh, I don't know, I'll, I guess I'll try to frame this right. At what point do we price him out? Is this close? Uh, hit me on both of those dudes. Yeah, so the Brogdon pick was exactly that. I was pretty surprised that he he fell. There's guys like Nah who went ahead of him, which I thought was a a, uh, a bit of a reach. Like Westbrook went ahead of him, who I would not touch in, in Roto in that range. Sexton, that's a point. That's a category scarcity pick for the points. But generally, like that, I, I would take Brogdon ahead of these guys. So I was very happy with this, even before. And this was before the Levert uh, news dropped too. So I think he's he's more of a early six guy, even if everyone's healthy. And maybe you can get him. Like maybe he's more appropriate in the fifth um, if they do continue to have injury uh, woes. Uh, with uh, Beef Stew, um, I'm pretty comfortable with him in this range. I'd probably go five, six picks ahead of this, but that's about it. I think he's a more roto-friendly big than a lot of the guys in in this range. Like I, I love Big Yak, I love uh, Pirtle, but you got to deal with that free throw percentage. I, I just liked what I saw last year from Stewart in terms of touch. His uh, three ball kind of trended up as year went along, and so did his free throw percentage. So I think he could end up maybe having fewer holes in his line than most people think. Uh, also seems like Dwayne Casey likes him, which which is big, and they don't really have a ton of front court depth uh, beyond the top three. Like Garza, good for him for making the team and whatnot, but I don't think he's a major threat or anything like that. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that seems a bit unlikely. Slow mo, slow mo. I like me some slow mo this year. That's that's uh, that's that's a sneaky one. Uh, slow mo at ninety five. Evan Fournier at ninety eight. Evan Fournier perennial. Uh, guest member on the Dan Vespers old man squad, no matter where he is. Um, I, I, 
I like Fournier, and I feel like he might even go later than this in a lot of drafts, which, like, it's always the same thing with him. He gets drafted at 115 and uh, just floats along, like, easily inside the top 90 with some upside. Uh, tell me a bit about Slomo and Evan Fournier, 95 and 98. Yeah, Slomo was another one of those easy picks. I feel like I have a boring team, but like boring is good. He, he was around top 65 last year, and I don't think his role is going to change that that much. I could see his boards going down a little bit just because he'll spend more time at the three with JJJ at the the four. Uh, but I looked at his numbers last year once JJJ did come back, like not a huge sample size, but his numbers actually went up slightly. So I haven't really seen anything to suggest that he's about to fall off significantly this year, maybe a little bit just because last year was a career year. But I think he's probably still going to be like top 90 at worst. And we've seen that he has mid-round upside. Um, I also like that he gives you about average assists. So average assists at this point in the draft is going to actually uh, help you make up ground since most of the guys are pretty big uh, drags. I would probably take uh, Anderson probably a good 10 spots higher than this. Al Horford at 119. Oh yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll just touch oh. on on Fournier too. Yeah, just sure. Before we, we skip ahead, I love that Horford pick. I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, you and I were in a, a similar boat on the uh, the Horford Boston guessing game, so I'm actually excited to get to that one too. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Fournier, I, I agree with you. He, he, I wrote this in all my guides. He's just such an easy pick in this range. Like, not only will he get you points that you usually don't find um, uh, in this range of the draft, just the value wise, he's a good bet to potentially outplay this spot by by 20 spots it's depending on what Thibs does like I I could easily see Thibs going crazy and playing him 34 35 I'm not saying that's super likely but we can't rule that out either I also like that he's in the backcourt with uh Derek Rose and Kemba we know those guys are going to miss games so even if Fournier's not playing 35 36 all year he's more in the 33 minute per game range he's going to have extended stretches where Thibs is just playing him Randall minutes so I think there's some nice upside here you'll probably get some top 68 stretches from him, even if that's not where he lands all year. All right, let's talk about our guy. I think you and I both looked at that Boston situation while everybody else on the planet was like, Robert Williams is the starter, and we yeah. said, not so fast. They brought in the captain of position defense, which was one of Boston's biggest issues last year. Nobody was in the right place, and Al is always in the right damn place and does a little bit of everything. He's a Roto superstar, I don't even care if they give him rest days because he's getting drafted in the 120 range. You have R.J. Barrett at 122. I don't even care about talking about these other guys. I just want to talk about Big Al. How many minutes do you think he plays this year? That's the real question because it's probably not going to be a full starter's compliment. So is it enough? Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's enough. You look at him last year, he was a top 30 per minute player. He's not going to be quite as productive because he won't get as much usage this year, but he's probably still going to be like a top 50, top 60 per minute guy. So he doesn't need a ton. Uh, before media day in the last few days, I was thinking 27-ish, which I, I think could have got him like top 80 or something in that range. But the way they're hyping up, maybe 28, 29 at most, like a two minute bump doesn't sound like much, but that could be an extra round uh, on his value. Yeah, I, I was just kind of surprised people were sleeping on him. He was just really good, and I just last year, and I don't think a lot of people noticed. Um, I had the Al Horford experience uh, in one or two leagues last year, and it wasn't fun because of the shutdown, but it was also kind of exciting because when he was in there, he was damn good. He's just got a lot more left in the tank than I think most people realize, and I think people will figure that out pretty quickly. It seems like the Celtics have already figured that out. 
Yeah, I mean, they know him well. That's another thing. Like, they know yeah. they know what he can do. They know what he brings to the table. And it's that it's that presence of not having a guy on skates, of of knowing that if you know that the 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 defense is going to be better. That's I think the very short and simple explanation there. He when he's on the floor, guys are just in the right spot. He gets everybody, and it's not just himself as the sort of anchor on the the back end of it. And you know that's not to put too much blame on on the Time Lord. He's just super young. That wasn't that wasn't one of his his skills. And maybe that's coming around. Uh, you know these these big men tend to grow into that, knowing like where to move the other guys on defense, telling them where to go because they are that back line. They can see what's happening in front of them. R.J. Barrett one twenty two, Kelly Oubre one forty three. These are sort of the flyer guys. Uh, what's the thought process there? Because I wanted I want to make sure I keep this this train a rumbling. I have key questions I want to get to with you. Sure. Yeah. So Barrett uh, at 122 wasn't because I love Barrett there in Roto. That was a very team specific pick. Um, I was tracking the draft and I was going into round 11 with like an 11 or 12 and field goal percentage, free throw percentage and turnovers. So I could basically just like ignore those cats, punt those cats for my last couple picks. And when you take out those categories, uh, RJ was the best player available. So that was the thing behind that pick. Um, I, I, he's definitely not for every team. I think he's probably going to end up as a top 130 to top 150 guy. But if you do have the percentages locked down, then he's a really nice option in that range. Um, next up, yeah, was Ubre. This was just an upside pick. I think he needs an injury um, to be more than a low-end guy. But given that he's got Gordon Hayward in front of him, I think there's a decent chance of that happening. Maybe he's not useful all year, but as a bench guy in Roto, that's not really an issue. I think I'll get a good stretch or two out of him. At some point uh, in the past, he's done like top 80-ish things in 28 minutes too. So it's possible that he surprises. I wouldn't bet on that. But this isn't – if his shooting comes back and I think his steal rate will bounce back a little bit, I think he could be useful. I concur. I uh, I, I like the, the Kelly Oubre flyer because in Roto, at the end of your draft, you're really just hunting upside plays. Because it doesn't yeah. matter. There's a games cap. You don't need your 12th round pick to play every single ball game. You you can feel quite comfortable dropping them if things aren't going great right at the outset. So why the hell not? I mean, we saw him do really good stuff in Phoenix a couple of years ago. Maybe he gets a little bit of that back. You know, he talked about wanting fans in the arena. He'll have them this year. We'll see if that was fluff, probably. But whatever. We'll learn soon enough. Yeah. Uh, other, by the way, again, talking to Adam Stock, uh, by the way, hey, I forgot to congratulate you on your award last year. Congrats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That was a, a, a nice surprise. I got to talk on uh, the radio for a little bit. That was a first, too. So there was a there was a double whammy. Very, very cool. The FSWA Basketball Writer of the Year. We should, if I had like a little applause soundboard here, I <laughs> stuck that in there. At uh, Adam G. Stock on Twitter. Who are the late guys that you didn't get in our mock draft that you were like, damn, I wanted that dude to fall to me? Yeah, so some of the guys went a little earlier than I thought. So like Nance, I always love just because he's uh, he's finished in the top 109 category leagues five years in a row, and it's the six man in Portland. He's probably going to get there again. It's always a bumpy ride. You always look at it and you're like, how the heck is he going to put up numbers in this role? But then he just figures it out. I just trust him at this point. Yeah, better um, in Roto than head to head too, because he's probably going to miss. I don't know what does he miss? 20 games every year? Yeah, 15, 20. Yeah, that's the <laughs> downside. Um, I, I like Plummy a lot. I'm really coming around on Plum Dog. I think he could get that 25 to 26 uh, minutes. Um, I think Maxi uh, went earlier, which was a pretty nice pick. Um, 
especially now that the Simmons it lo Simmons looks like he's serious about holding out. I wasn't sure at this point if he was going to go through with it, but now it looks like it. Um, other than that, uh, those were the main the main guys um, in the middle rounds. There were some guys who went a little higher that I was I was hoping for, but late those were the guys. I thought uh, Drummond was a nice pick too, uh, just because you're going to get 20 quality starts out of him probably this year at least. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought a ton about Andre Drummond, but as like, you know, I play in a bunch of roto leagues where I prefer, I go no injured list, but five bench slots, so it sort of functions in a similar capacity. That 15th man, if it's Drummond 20 games at like a top 60 clip, that's actually not a terrible thing. It's not a totally wasted roster spot. There's going to be a lot of days where you're tempted to throw him in there and you just have to keep talking yourself out of it. But if you're disciplined, that's actually... uh it's a really interesting angle to try to play. It's like the the semi dead. It's a it's an intermittent stash start, uh, yeah. but you know it's happening because Embiid. Well, I mean, what, what's the lowest number of games Embiid's missed in his career so far? Like twenty, twenty two, something like oh, that. Yeah, I think his career high is sixty four played, maybe. So there you go. So, yeah, like if you played sixty five, that would really hurt, but it'd be a career high too. So that's tough. <laughs> yeah, you can't handicap for that. It all these things could happen, but we we do our work on what's most likely to happen and that you take sort of a body of work and you'd and you work from that. But I want to, I want to ask you about punting, which doesn't really have a whole lot to do with a nine cat Roto league. Um, generally in Roto, you want to go pr pretty balanced. You can sort of like back into a punt. I often end up with a very bad team on scoring. I don't draft for points very often. I find that you can get a ton of amazing values if you just kind of semi ignore it. I'm and then by, yep. Yeah, and so then by mid-season, you're like, well, I'm third from the bottom in points, so the worst thing that happens here is I drop two Roto points, and I have a guy on my team. And if I look at my own team in this mock draft, much as I love Tobias Harris, scoring and the percentages are his best categories, basically, and my team's pretty damn good in those. Or I could look at C.J. McCollum, who's, you know, points threes mostly, uh, those guys could be moved for someone who's a specialist in steals or blocks or assists or rebounds or whatever, where I might be able to actually get back three or four roto points of value where you're, again, only giving away a maximum of two. But that's not the point. Head-to-head, -head, it is a... Really, at this point, it's sort of a tried-and-true strategy. There aren't that many hyper-competitive head-to-head leagues where the team that's good and everything wins because they're probably going to get beat by somebody who, who pulled off a really good punt. So um, at the risk of having you give away too much on this podcast, because I know this is also <laughs> sort of your livelihood, um, what's your favorite punt going into this year? I know most seasons you have a strategy on that's built a bit on sort of positional or, or a statistical scarcity. Um, what looks like the most interesting one for this season? Yeah, first of all, good research. I appreciate you looking into that. Um, so, second of all, uh, it's a great question because I get asked a bit, it a lot and, and it depends on your setting uh, my answer is different for nine category versus eight category leagues in nine category leagues i like punt assists because that's going to turn into a dominant turnovers team um uh getting that one nothing lead to start your draft uh is huge in eight category leagues it obviously loses a little something and eight category leagues are just so slanted towards small ball teams because five of the remaining categories are small ball categories our, our uh, guard categories right. that I usually recommend punt field goal percentage there. Not the easiest build to pull off just because it can be tricky to find enough rebounds and blocks and some of the main targets, big man targets in the middle rounds 
are uh, injury prone, like KP and uh, JJJ. It, it's not the safest, but I think that is the highest upside play in eight category leagues. Another one I always recommend, especially nine category leagues, is punt threes. It's really the only strategy that is getting better every year mm. because it's getting harder and harder to roster those 0.0, .0 uh, threes per game big man like R Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, he's awesome, but he's losing value every year because the mean threes per game is going up. So you don't have to worry about that in that setting. And that setup usually ends up being a great, uh, great in all the big man categories, pretty solid in the percentages and another build that's probably going to end up being pretty strong in turnovers. So right there, you got around four or five cats that you're going to be in very good shape in. And then you just try to find enough assists and steals to win those every other week. And you got yourself a pretty good team. So those are the three builds that I tend to push mm. people towards. I think punt points has the highest upside because it changes the board so much. You got guys like Cov. Cov felt like he was having a bad year last year, but in punt points, he was like borderline top 25. That's the beauty of punt points. Yeah, I, I I agree, dude. I agree. You're preaching to the choir on punt points. I've never actually pulled it off in in a head to head league. What do you do with like? So here's one of the things that I run into that I'm assuming other people do as well. If you're planning on a punt points, you don't overlook the guys that are going in the first round, and because like most of I mean most of the guys that are getting drafted inside the top 14 in a normal league are scoring anywhere from like 22 to 30 points per game, do you steer into a different guy there? Or like, is your first rounder, are you more avoiding something? I, I'm not even asking the right question here, but what do you do in the first couple rounds in a punt points? Because all those guys score. Honestly, in the first couple rounds, I usually go for high scores because you still need the threes. Threes tend to be the biggest issue in, in punt points. And that's where a lot of the elite threes guys are. And also because the biggest issue I find when punting points is uh, percentages volatility. Uh, since your attempts are going to be lower every week, um, uh, you can run into problems like your fourth round pick might have a, a bad shooting week, and that will swing your percentages more than it would in other builds. So you have to get those guys that do put up decent volume so they can kind of carry you in those categories every every week. If you just go like, 20 point guys in the first and second, maybe like, which is low for that range. It's going to be hard to bank on the percentages every week, just because like there is a lot of variance and like luck is involved. And if you don't go for higher volume guys, you're just going to be at the mercy of luck a little more. Mm -hmm. So I, I do try to get high volume guys early and maybe even in the middle rounds, like I'm not shying away from DeMar DeRozan or something like that because he's going to really help kind of. Yeah. That was, that was the name. Field goal percentage and yeah. free throw percentage. That was the name that popped into my head as soon as you talked about a punt threes build. It was like DeMar mm -hmm. felt like a fantastic mid-rounder. Oh, yeah, round. he's on a Larry's amazing. Man, yeah. <laughs> it's like you could take him in the second in that build and exactly. people would look at you cockeyed because you didn't have to, but, you know, for, for value standpoint. So then in those first few picks, you're still taking guys that are high scoring, but it sounds like maybe you're more focused on the high scorers who aren't going to hurt you in either percentage. Guys that can really put kind of a, a, a strong weight on the scale on both field goal and free throw percent, if possible. Now, you know, no Kawhi this year, so that takes one of those dudes off the yeah. board. But, like, what do you do then if you don't get Jokic or Steph in the first? Is it KD and hope he stays healthy? Is it Embiid and hope he stays healthy? Cause, or is it Cat, maybe? Like, because his percentages are both pretty solid. Is that the direction? And then maybe try to avoid 
Like, I hate to say avoid Dame, but that's a pretty big field goal dip on a team where the rest of your club probably isn't going to be having that much impact on field goal percent. Yeah, for no, I think Punt Points has a lot of first round issues like Steph and and uh, Big Honey. Like, they're the obvious ones, but I like Harden there a lot too, especially if uh, Kyrie comes back. He's not scoring as much and his uh, efficiency went up. Uh, in Brooklyn, at least from the floor, I think he shot 47.1. KD's nice there too, assuming Kyrie comes back at some point. Towns I actually love there because you get the threes too. You get the threes from a big man spot, and that tends to be Punk Point's biggest issue. I actually find Towns is one of the next to the top two is the easiest starting point uh, for that setup. Really mm. the only first-round guys I would stay away from in that is Luka, just because he's bad value and you're taking away one of his best categories. Giannis can work, but you're doing a double punt there. Um, Lillard, I don't like, and Embiid, I don't like just because they have too much of their value tied up in, in points. Or I just think they're losing too much value versus a, a Jokic or a Steph who still does so much, even, even if you take away their points. I'm uh, I'm just looking at my board while we're talking right now. And I know I got to I got to let you go here soon, but I, I love deep diving things like this. This is to me the most fun pods I get to do. And everybody else just wants the answer to the question, but I really like to. I like to be the show that sort of shows the work between the beginning and the end point. And I'm just like, when you're sorting your board, it feels like a lot of what you're doing there is saying, okay, who are my early guys that can solidify my percentages and get me a bunch of other things while doing the percentage stuff at a high enough weight? So Cat makes a lot of sense. Uh, Vooch actually feels like a decent option there. I know his field goal percent wasn't as great, but a big man that hits some three-pointers, rebounds, assists. You talked about Chris Paul earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, yeah, I mean, I, I I see it. Yeah, getting the three-pointers, that does feel like the spot where you could get carried away avoiding points in the mid-round, and then you end up with, like, seven big men on your team and you forget to get your three-pointers. So that that does feel like the biggest mental hurdle there, huh? Yeah, because at the end of the day, like punting is not just picking the guys that gain value. The example I always use is back in the day, all the big sites always pushed like Dwight Howard followed by Josh Smith followed by uh, Rondo. That was actually a terrible start for punt free throw, even though all those guys <laughs> would finish high because like it, it would hurt in points. It would hurt in, hurt in threes, uh, turnovers and stuff like that. That's not what punting is about. I think people get too caught up in worrying about value when punting it's more so about fit like in punt free throw percentage next to Giannis my favorite starting point is Curry just because he solidifies all the weaknesses that that build tends to have when you pick Rudy or you pick Clint like you need points and threes there you get points of threes from Steph you know even though he does lose value this is why I think punting in Roto really should be done part way through the season if you're just sort of if you accidentally kind of fall into it, when you're punting in head-to-head, and you can tell me I'm wrong on this, by the way, because you do this way more than I do. When you're punting head-to-head, it almost feels like it's easier to punt two categories or more because then you're you're able to almost punt a player type instead of one category because what you were talking about with the Rondo-Dwight thing, that's a really easy trap to fall into. Go get the guys that get a ton of value by ignoring one category and then forgetting a whole bunch of other ones. If you're just like, you know what, I'm like, I'm going to build a team that's almost all guards and then a couple of big men that do guard-like stuff. Yeah, you've now punted rebounds, blocks, and field goal percent probably, and maybe even turnovers in the process. But suddenly, you've simplified your board. Is that 
oversimplifying though. Yeah, so I think punting multiple categories is two categories. Uh, makes a lot of sense. I try not to go more than that in head to head just because you're not going to have the perfect draft. Like we all make bad picks. So you, you want to be careful about turning like a double punt into a triple punt or a quadruple punt early, early in the season, you know. Um, in Roto, eh, I, I, I rarely punt hard. I, I kind of do what, what you say. Sometimes I'll do like what I call like a soft punt. That's yeah. what I did in our industry uh, draft. I wasn't. I just knew guys were going to go hard at assists. So I was like, you know what? I'm cool with a three or four in assists, and then maybe I'll make adjustments later. And that's kind of what I aim for. So I, I definitely agree with you on Roto. I think that's kind of the strategy. You're not going to end your draft with tens everywhere. So it does make sense to at least do kind of like a soft punt. I, I know your team was um, pretty close to a, a punt points team anyways. And like, that, makes <laughs> sense. Same, that yeah. makes sense to me. No, yep. no. I, I feel like we draft very similar. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not tripping or anything like No, like, I mean, it's, it's funny because it's very true. It's very yeah. true. <laughs> Bam and Chris, Bam had a bio and Chris Paul in rounds two and three, pretty much guaranteed. I wasn't going to compete much in yeah, points. And then, and then I think you went Cove and uh, Draymond back to back and that that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I got like a couple guys interspersed in there. Tobias is in the twenties. Norman Powell's probably gonna have an okay scoring season, but no, it's never, I love what not caring that much about points does to the draft board. I ended up with, I thought a value pick at basically every reasonable round until you get into the flyers where it's like, all right, well, you know, let's see if one of these darts sticks. I thought every guy I drafted in this industry mock fell to me later than they should have. And like six of those eight names that I'm thinking of probably did so. Cause they don't score that much. That just makes yeah, man, life that, so that, easy. That, yeah. That's the beauty of, of punt points. Like it's the only build where you can like finish your draft with a few guys in the top 30 and everyone inside the top 100 my favorite team i've ever had in a head-to-head -head league was a punt points team that by the end of the year thanks to injuries my best player was trevor reza <laughs> so it doesn't sound too impressive but he was like 15th there and i ended up winning just because i had all these no-name dudes who scored 11 points a game but we're yep. still top 50 guys is there anything in five categories at the end of the day you don't get extra points for winning points no is there anything adam is there anything more satisfying than having other people look at your team and think it's garbage and then just wiping the floor with them because they forgot that scoring is only one out of nine categories. I love that no, feeling. No, th that's the best. I, I, I've always put that in like my introduction for my pun points. It's just it's just fun at the end of the day. I yeah. mean, maybe some people would rather have the superstars and, and have LaMelo and like LeBron and all, all the fancy stuff. But I mean, like if you get beat by those guys, you're like, eh. It happens, but if you get beat by Larry Nance Jr., like that's <laughs> yeah, the the Draymond, Rob Covington, Larry Nance All Star yeah. team. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's so satisfying. Adam, um, God, man, I want to talk. Do you think I'll have time to talk again before opening night? Because I want to do some more punt stuff. Yeah, man, definitely. I, I, I'm ahead of schedule. I, I based my <laughs> schedule off of last year's mad rush. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have uh, plenty of time. Let me know. Yeah, how weird has this off season been? Because it felt like we had all the time in the world and then all of a sudden the season was here and no one was really ready for it like we all kind of ran a little bit early and then no one was ready for the stuff that we had created early did you did you have that experience too oh, oh yeah definitely i'm just like next year i guess will be the first normal year hopefully yeah please so i'm really looking forward just to getting back to that uh end of june or early july free agency period and then we got a nice little break we can start the projections early this year 
much better than last year. Last year was probably the worst shape I've ever gotten into because of that mad rush. <laughs> but uh, this year, yeah, it still feels a little weird. You know, it was funny too. And then again, I know I got to let you go. We're, we're finishing up here with Adam Stock, punt master and the founder of Elite Fantasy Basketball at Adam G Stock on Twitter. The weird thing about last year is I think because we were all under that same time crunch, there was very little disagreement among analysts. This season, I'm seeing a ton like everybody's all over the map on certain guys and that's cool because that creates interesting value pockets i can't wait um adam we'll talk to you again here very soon thank you for the deep dive on punting i love getting into the strategy side of stuff good luck over the next couple of weeks we'll uh, we'll talk to you in a little bit same to you guys appreciate it then big thanks to adam I have so many. I, when we get into these theory discussions, I just want to keep going. I want to keep them on for two hours, but I know that that's uh, not okay because everybody has lives. They have lives. Big thank you again to Adam. I want to see if we can get him back on before the season starts, even to talk about how maybe some of his real drafts are going and just dig a little bit deeper even on some of this uh, this punting stuff, which, frankly, we all need to get a little bit better. I talk a ton about Roto on this show because I do believe that it's the fairest of the methods of the settings in fantasy. But look, you guys play head to head. We all do. I have a, I have some head to head leagues and we got to win those too. So these are some stra- draft strategies and you got to pull them off. You can't half butt them. You got to do the whole thing, but he's right. If you just look at who gains the most punting one category, you're going to miss a bunch of stuff. If you look at who gains the most by punting points, you missed the three-pointers. So that is, that, that, those, those things he was talking about, they're so critical to it all. Thank you once again to Manscaped.com for their continued support or really coming back here in the month of October. You can use coupon code HOOPBALL20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order at Manscaped. Go check out the Lawn Mower 4.0. The light now, adjustable, on or off, depending on what parts of yourself you might be tidying up also has a travel lock should you be uh stonesy enough to travel these days and just look here's the bottom line they got all these features but it's just a better sideburn trimmer than the stuff that's been out for you know 30 whatever years electric i don't know electric sideburn trimmers have been around they just make a better product so go get something to manscaped use the coupon code please so they know who sent you 20 percent off free shipping it's just good stuff, man, and we need you guys to do it because we want them to stick around long-term as well. I am, once again, Dan Bespers for Fantasy NBA Today. One more time, big thank you to Adam Stock for coming on today and talking punt and his mock team. I am, once again, at Dan Bespers on Twitter. Hit me up if you want to be a part of HoopBall or want to cover a team or want to get in a HoopBall league on the fantasy side. Lots of reasons. Or if you just want to see all my fantasy crap on Twitter, that's another reason to do it. Go get a fantasy pass or hoop ball 360 plan over at hoop-ball.com. You can thank me later. I will talk to you about it in Discord because I'm over there a decent chunk of the time. Have a lovely Sunday. Special show number two in the books. Back to the normal stuff. Starting tomorrow, I believe Monday's show will be with Matt Smith. I believe. I have like four guest hits preloaded here. Busting my hump here, guys. And I just got to figure out what order they're all going to come into your ears. But you don't need to worry about that. Just relax. Next show's coming tomorrow. That's all you need to worry about. Have a great Sunday. We'll talk to you.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.